You're listening to The Community Pulse, a podcast about developer relations, community management, and all things tech advocacy. Let's see what our hosts are chatting about this episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Community Pulse. I am one of your hosts, Mary Thengball, and today I'm super excited to say that we are talking about budgets. We've mentioned this a couple times in previous episodes, but budget concerns are really an ever-changing part of working in DevRel. And I think now more than ever, with everything that we've been through this year in 2020, DevRel teams are expanding their functions and responsibilities, while at the same time stretching the idea of how do we do the things that we do. So in this episode, we're sitting down with our special guest, Barry Douglas of Slack, to talk through budgets and budget allocations and what that means to a DevRel team and how we calculate what we need versus what we want. So Bear, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I've also got my other two co-hosts today, SJ and Wesley here. Hello. Hello. Cool. Bear, <laughs> uh, you want to give folks an introduction uh, or Bear, do you want to introduce yourself in case folks don't know you? Yeah, sure. Hi, my name is Bear. I lead the developer relations team over at Slack. I've been there for almost four years now. Um, and before that, I was at Twitter. Before that, I was at Facebook. And before that, I was at a couple of small startups that uh, spent some time supporting open source projects among others. So I've kind of run the gamut from the teeny tiny companies to much larger scale organizations. I've done budgeted at least a few of them. Awesome. And I love that we have kind of that range, right? I'm at a uh, hundred, no, 200 person company these days. Uh, SJ, you're over at HubSpot and you've got a lot of people. I think it's about, oh gosh, I don't know the number right now. 3,000? <laughs> Sorry. Sounds about right. Um, Sorry, PR team, if I got that wrong. <laughs> Something like 3,000 in and around. And, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and Wesley, you're, you're working for a fairly small company these days, right? Yeah, I think we just topped at 20 people, I think. Yeah. Wow. Nice. So we've got a, a good representation of different size companies, different size teams, um, different sizes of budgets as well, which is a nice nice place to be in. Um, I'm going to kick things off with a super generic question, and we'll see where it takes us. But uh, how do you approach budgeting for DevRel teams? What does that look like? How do you even start to kind of wrap your head around it? I guess since I'm, I'm here as, a, as your guest that I can kick off a little bit. Um, so I break it down into things that we need that are software spend related. So for example, we use Algolia at Slack to power site search on api.slack.com. So we have our Algolia bill, any other sort of tooling that we need to support things like what we're doing in open source. So do we need any particular licenses for things? We have a segment where we try and think through our uh, open source giving strategy. So helping make sure that we're supporting foundations and individual developers who are, who are helping build the projects that we use. And then I also think about our event budget. So um, being at a larger organization, typically what I've seen across a few of them is that T&E or travel, travel and expenses is separate and not usually the same thing as your event budget, which is more about event production, things like swag, food and beverage, uh, all of the costs of getting uh, registration sites up to speed and everything like that. So we think about our 
event budget together with our marketing team as well. Um, and that's something that I've noticed too is also different in a really large organization, which is that if you're going to the really big shows like Google IO or Facebook's F8, it's not all internal employees who are doing that. There's usually an event agency. And at that point, that is almost always completely in marketing's purview, like managing that team that's doing all the big productions. So I, I joke sometimes that my budget is the, is the summation of a lot of small potatoes because it's all the things where we're going to be doing it without necessarily marketing's explicit support. So it's you know the $2,000 sponsorship here, it's like $500 to run a meetup there. And so estimating the amount that we wanna do kind of factors into that. And I leave the, the really big shows to our marketing partners. Yeah, I've often found that there's um, a, a need to kind of define uh, the swim lanes with marketing, especially when it comes to budgeting for DevRel, because certainly my experience has been that the areas in which the majority of the budget spend goes is in areas that may overlap a little bit with marketing. And so having those discussions and kind of understanding what that distinction is and how you're kind of going to kind of divide and conquer can be is important to have, but it can also be, uh, you know, sometimes challenging. No, I mean, we're dealing with the same thing at Camunda, right? Where like marketing handles the sponsorships um, and they actually this year are now handling or for 2021 are also handling the bottom up go to market strategy. And so the idea of not just, you know, to, uh, gearing toward people who are making the decisions about buying the product, but also people who are trying the product out. And so sponsorships for podcasts, sponsorships for developer facing newsletters, all of those things are largely being owned by our demand gen department, um, which I love because then I get to work in conjunction with them and we report into our products division uh, right under the CTO, but I get to work with marketing, not only on the event side of things, but also the, you know, the ad words and the ad spend and sponsorships and things like that, which frees up our budget for more of the tooling side, um, not just for what tools we're using as a team, but also like, hey, we want to try out new technologies for integrations, or we want to make sure that we have the uh, ability to store things in the cloud, whatever cloud that might be, and all of those types of things. And it, it gives me a different perspective to be able to work with a team that traditionally has a larger budget than developer relations does and help kind of give the business reason for that bottom-up go-to-market strategy, um, which gives us a unique unique partnership ability. It does sound like there's uh, perhaps a, a, an ease in the relationship there for a developer facing product um, where you know your audiences uh, are the same, your goals and tactics may be a little bit different and your you know um, specific personas within that audience might be a little bit different. Um, but you know I, I think it's uh, you know an interesting thing to um, be kind of working through a budget in the context of a company whose uh, bread and butter is more customer focused uh, and how you kind of navigate and, and, and actually advocate for your need for budget. Um, that's something that, you know, I think for us, it's come with um, creating really clear and concise strategies um, and kind of um, aligning on what our strategies for, you know, 2021 are going to be. Of course, those are still very much in the air given, you know, everything, all of this. <laughs> Um, I am motioning to the general world right now. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I think that having that top down support that, you know, there's a clear understanding that we are working with developers, we are, you know, trying to get them to a place where 
I don't know if like developers equals customers is quite the level we'll ever get to, but certainly in terms of the focus that we are, we're, we have as a team, we're trying to make, you know, for on our developer relations team at HubSpot, like developers are customers too. They really are our first class citizens. So um, we often have to advocate in, for that internally and um, make marketing understand that where they definitely understand the whole customer side of things. I was wondering if I could jump in with a question for you, Bear. So I've done with I've dealt with different processes. Um, the silent part in budget is the allocation part. So sometimes you'll get one before the other. Um, like here's a chunk of money. Figure out where it goes and where it will fit, as opposed to tell me what you need and what you're asking for on the top line after you've gone through and line item all the. Uh, of what you feel you'll need to be successful for whatever the strategy or the goal is moving into the next quarter or year or how long you're planning for. Um, generally speaking, do you have a preference on which you would prefer? Do you prefer having a pot of cash and then figuring out where you're going to allocate that? Or do you prefer figuring out really what are the true needs that you expect will happen and um, asking for that to be funded? You know, I'm not sure I've ever had a choice. I've mostly at the larger companies I've been at had to come with a line by line allocation um, and asking for what I need. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if I would prefer it the other way. I think that the first time you do it, it's sometimes nicer to just have the pot of cash and be able to think, okay, I have to operate within these constraints and let's do the best possible job we can with the cash that we've been given. But then after you started to develop more an opinion of, no, I want to be able to do these 15 things, I have a clear idea in my mind of what I'm asking for. Um, I, think, I think I do prefer it this way now, but definitely the first time that I was ever operating with a budget, which was at a smallish startup, we were about 25 people. It was definitely a, um, here's your general amount of money, but ask on a sort of per project basis what you need what you need cash for, and we'll we'll kind of figure it out along the way. And luckily, the startup was doing well enough during that time that I never got a firm no. We can't do that, but I did sometimes get you know half what I asked for, or um, get asked to like bargain a little bit harder with vendors and, and see what we could come up with. Um, so I, I think there's definitely a certain nice thing to knowing. All right, here's here's the amount of money you have to run with, and it kind of spurs you to get creative. Uh, but I think I've preferred having to come up with an allocation ahead of time. Do you have a preference? I'm curious because you asked that question. I do. I prefer um, having the pot of money um, and allocating it. Um, I've gotten a certain, uh, I would say, like a, a habit of discipline with that, where if there's something that's not needed, or, or sorry, something that's not working, I kill it a lot faster when um, I know that I have a, a pot at the end and I can reallocate it to something else that works. Um, so um, it, it, I, I've also been able to become under budget and still meet my goals. Um, but in terms of like really examining my approach and, and looking at the metrics constantly, instead of just saying, let's run its course, that the inflection points on where things should be on the timeline that's prescribed uh, is something that I check more rigorously when I have, I know that I'm rolling low on cash and, and reallocating it to things that I need. Um, the, the, but I, it, that is like one way I prefer to operate. On the other way around where I come up with a list, um, I also 
the the negative of that is that I feel like who ex who expects COVID to happen, right? Um, like you you do have to revise and pivot and revisit and revisit the budget, and um, I think that happens as you know things change fundamentally. Um, so it's kind of set and forget it, and I kind of just leave it, and it feels like something I need to do rather than something um, that is helping me drive towards the location that I need. So that's my personal preference because of how I operate, but uh, I'm not knocking one over the other, but just um, I, I, figured I, I figured that is where my sweet spot is, is just to keep re-examining, um, which is good practice, but one that I think money is a really good motivator for me. Totally. And I'm really curious, in that case, do you allocate some sort of percentage as like a a fudge fund or like, you know, as things come up, I want to have X dollars set aside because I want to be able to react if someone says, hey, I need a thousand dollars to do this thing. The way that I have done it is like, I would have it towards an initiative. And so it was, it's kind of at the strategy level rather than a tactics level. And so when, uh, so different things or the fudges would, would, would have to go up to strategy in terms of where would, would go. Um, and so that's where I would pull from. And so as I would uh, run down the balance using these different tactics or experiments, um, I would kill those off from that. And um, when uh, something would, an opportunity where like, we can't pass this up, we have to do that. I would run it over into the strategy and figure out in the timeline where it makes sense. Like, do I take this initiative and kill it or do I move it towards the end or do I do a limited run? Like, is this an experiment? that's gonna just, we're gonna put it out there, just read the signal and re-examine at a later time if we're gonna do it again? Or is it something that, you know, we'll just keep doing these things and keep learning? So some of it is like concrete, we're gonna do this. And some of it is in the learning phase. And that's where usually where I play the most. Like if I'm going to, if, am I learning or am I doing? And I, I just keep switching those two um, back and forth. I like that philosophy of, you know, having, Here's my here's my pool of money to to draw from, and then being able to kind of define things from there and say these buckets are for these types of things. Um, I'm curious because I've I've dealt with that a little bit in the past, especially with like you know you have X amount of money for events for this quarter out of the the larger marketing fund. Go figure out what you want to do with it. Um, but I'm curious how that works for folks you know, at the end of the quarter, do you feel like you have to, or the end of the year, do you feel like you have to spend all of that money? Or do you feel like, you know, at the end of the quarter, if you come in under budget, it's a, it's a huge win. And, you know, you've shown that you're a good steward of your money. Cause I know like as a, as an individual, I always have that pride of like, Oh, I came in under budget. This is awesome. I did better than I thought I could. But I also know some companies like you don't use it, you lose it and you can't, it's, it's that much more difficult to have that conversation the next quarter or the next year when you need to ask for that additional money. Yeah, it's hard to gauge the, I guess, financial culture of a company. Um, and that's kind of how you have to navigate that. I've had certainly different experiences at different companies. Um, one of the interesting things has been Oddly, I, I, I've felt more free to spend as needed at smaller startups where there actually was no formal budgeting process at all, which, you know, possibly to the ultimate detriment of that startup. But in that moment, um, you know, we just kind of like, we're like, oh, let's sponsor this thing. Let's do that. Let's do that. And um, always with kind of a general kind of cap of where you, of how far you could push it. 
Um, but I've had the all the other experience where you get a very specific or you pitch for a very specific amount of money and you're encouraged, like, where are you at in your budget? Like, have you spent all of this this quarter? And like, you know, figure out a way to spend it or else you won't be able to justify getting it next quarter. Um, so it's been really interesting. And, you know, especially this year where budgets have been shifted around quite a bit, um, to, to kind of fall under into that model. Um, at HubSpot, uh, we are actually, given that it's a fairly new function to be even investing in developer experiences and events, and this year has been largely kind of internal focused on, uh, you know, making great experiences for our existing developers. And next year we'll be a little bit more focused on starting to kind of grow the developer brand. Um, so I haven't come up against that too, too much. Um, I've, you know, had what I needed internally. Um, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of comes together next year. Um, and as we all kind of figure that out. As we talk about next year, I was wondering, Bear, for this year has been, you know, unprecedented. So what, what things in your budget that you have next year that you didn't have this year um, that you think you need to prepare for? Oh, interesting. Um, mostly it's a lot of software spend around things like, for example, if, if people are going to need to continue having online events, it costs money to, to host something somewhere. And we do want to uh, cover that as much as possible for people. Like in the days when we had meetups in person, we had for organizers a certain budget for food and drink or for you know swag for their first meetup. And uh, because we really don't want our community organizers to have to bury the costs as part of doing any sort of program. So thinking about the platforms that we have to better support all of this stuff online, we really, we really weren't prepared. Like it wasn't like we could just hand out Zoom licenses like candy or anything like that. So we have been thinking about the, the costs that we have there. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know how the rest of you are handling swag because we've kind of said that now that people aren't in one location, the costs of drop shipping people t-shirts for 200 people, the shipping just becomes prohibitive. So even stickers, even stickers <laughs> just get so expensive where the cost of like putting in an envelope is much higher than the cost of a sticker itself. So I've, I've set aside some money for that, but I don't, I have no idea when we're next going to be in person at events. So uh, there's, there's still a chunk where I'm sort of assuming that we'll be at say 60% of our usual event budget where usual is like not 2020, but probably 2019 to 2017 modeled and kind of taking it from there. But otherwise it's, it is definitely increased software spend on platforms. Yeah. Um, you brought up two th really interesting things. One has been, was the whole um, community spend. So I know that, you know, you have your Slack community meetups where you're empowering community members to actually host their own meetups. Um, that does open up a whole can of worms, you know, how you allocate that and um, how you empower those folks to continue to, you know, make it work in whatever way they can next year. So that's definitely something really interesting. And actually now I'm thinking, I'm like, my goodness, we want to start doing something like that next year. How are we going to budget for that? I haven't thought of that. So cool. Good, good note to take away after this session. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, we've been also um, grappling with the question of, of swag, sorry, um, wanting to, um, you know, actually we have definitely put aside some budget for it, but what we're thinking about doing is a form of digital swag. So exclusives for folks, um, educational tools, um, access to, um, you know, kind of like, 
maybe trying to scale the benefits of kind of an ambassador program, but to, to more folks. So access to um, more sort of exclusive uh, HubSpot or product roadmap type of meetings, things like that, wherever we can digitize benefits, um, we're looking at that. Um, I had a really interesting conversation, uh, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me mentioning this, with uh, Saron Yitbarek uh, last week, uh, a former and currently still very involved with Code Newbies, but uh, recently uh, Code Newbies got acquired and she's um, launched a new business called Disco, and it's all about creating, um, I believe now that I sing it out loud, that that might, may also be short for discovery, which smart move girl um but um what she's doing is creating um audio educational content for developers and um she's making it kind of a license-based model um and i know that uh she mentioned to me that twilio's developer champions are offering that as a kind of digital swag incentive so um you know there's really interesting creative things happening um and, uh, you know, I guess talk to Sarone, she's starting out and like definitely in a great place to, to um, work with, with folks like us right now, so. I, I was taking us in a slightly different direction. If you all had seen any, any cool digital swag worth having, cause I mean, that's, that's an interesting one, but that's also a separate topic. So if Wesley, you're about to bring us back to budget. No, 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 I was gonna say that I'm surprised that you see these trinkets and stores haven't pivoted quick enough to have like a digital swag section. Um, instead of getting a, 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 a stress ball or something like that. Um, one of the coolest swags that I've seen is like um, kind of these services that you're mentioning SJ, um, like Headspace memberships. Um, and I saw one place, it was, uh, this is more of a speaker gift swag where they gave out masterclass uh, subscriptions, um, which is really awesome. And I, I, I think that's that type of swag where you give access to these services is, is pretty neat. Yeah, it's definitely a world that we're starting to explore. And actually it was literally because of that conversation I had with Sarone that we started thinking about that. So um, thanks to her for reaching out. <laughs> yeah, I saw one, so one company that was giving entries as swag to a contest for a bigger thing. So the logistic problem went from everybody to just a few people. Um, one was like an ultimate home office setup kind of a thing where you get all this new stuff um, as a replacement. Um, but I think that's means that there's one happy person or only a handful yeah. of happy people. Instead that's of what we did for our developer day, HubSpot developer day a couple of weeks ago. Um, we just did a draw for a swag pack and then only three people got it, which is yeah. bummer. And none of the people like, this is complicated. We don't need to get into the logistics of why, but the three people that I pulled the names from were not actually at the event. <laughs> so it was kind of a bummer. Like we couldn't like get their reaction, but anyway. Isn't that what st swag stands for? Stuff that everyone gets? Um, stuff we so, all get, yeah. yeah. Stuff we all get, yeah. 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 And so when there's only a few, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> stuff that some of you get, that's not a very yeah. good idea. <laughs> Well, and I think it brings us back to, you know, budgeting for 2021. It's it's different for all of us now, whether or not we've done budgets in the past. And that's something we, we were talking about a little bit before we even started this episode was just, you know, it's budgeting seems easier if you've done it before. And then it seems easier if you've done it before at that company. And then it's a little bit easier if you've done it at that company with that model. And you know, like, okay, I need to allocate this much more you know, this percentage more because I have this many more teammates or things like that. 
I'm curious, Bear, since you've kind of done budgets year over year at Slack in particular, if you've seen, you know, is it actually easier year over year or is that just a misnomer that we're all going, it's going to be better next year because we know what we're doing now? I'm, I'm going to admit something that I might have to restrict later, but I basically copy and paste my budget from year over year. And I'm like, what of this do I want to change? What if these things were not worth investing in that I would cut? Are there new things that are on my radar that I would want to reallocate that money to? And it does take out a substantial chunk of the work because most of the things that we want to do are longer term investments or they're things that have an annual cadence where I can kind of expect like, um, I, I do break up my event budget between meetup size events and middle tier events. Obviously I leave, like I said before, the really big scale stuff to our marketing team. But so that that is just about like a percentage growth or, or stasis. And then the, the more specific experimental line items that we have, those are really the only things that, that really get reviewed and changed year over year. Um, so it, it does get easier, but maybe, maybe I'm being a little lazy. <laughs> But when you, when you do that work and you've copied and pasted and you're like, what changes you're going to make, what type of feedback do you get from people in your org to feed into the budgeting process or what top level like pressures do you hear coming from top down that also influence that? What kind of, what kind of, what is the process that's outside of you? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, usually for the programs that we would start up or not start up, we have, uh, for events, we have retros usually after every event thinking like, all right, what did we, what did we think of the event? What did we think of the group of attendees who came? Were the organizers easy to work with? Because sometimes you can have an event that was an absolute circus, but the people there were fantastic. And so it's worth reinvesting in, even if it was a total headache to, to be a part of it. And for, in programs, it's, it's, a, it's a similar thing where it's like, all right, what did we see ROI-wise for the company? Was this a huge time suck in a way that we didn't expect? Because that also has to feature into your budget. Like if it, it costs you $10,000, but it also cost you 250 person hours and you expected it to cost you 10, that's a massive budget gap that isn't getting accounted for on that, on that spreadsheet. So we do spend a lot of time thinking about, all right, is the marginal effort required to keep on running this program going to be similar or different? And so that's, those are the types of discussions that I have with my team. Like after participating, did it feel like it was worth it? Did this take a bunch of your time and so on? Um, and then with execs, usually it's about um, explaining the, the cost trade-offs. So particularly with software, it's like, what would it have taken us to build site search ourselves manually? And the answer is much more dollars than it took to, to buy Algolia. And so those, those are the type of things that are such an, an obvious good that you don't have to argue about it too much. But, but that's kind of like the, the difference between the, the conversations with execs and the conversations with my team. Um, what about you all? I know for, for my team, um, there was very much a like, turn in your wish list. Uh, a couple months ago, and across the company, every team turned in their wish list, and then our CFO went, <laughs> "Oh, we need to, we need to, we need to have a second conversation about this." Um, but the way that I kind of formatted my my quote unquote wish list was like, "Look, here's the things that I need. Like, no exceptions. I I need these items. We have to have a tooling budget or a software budget, like you referred to it, Bear." We need, you know, these couple other things. We have to have these things. And then it was like, okay, here's what's deprioritized due to COVID. But once COVID isn't a thing, I'll need budget for these things again. And then there was a like, nice to have, but not necessarily essential right now. 
And that was like, you know, as we're looking into a potential champions program, we could look into specialized or personalized swag, like not something we need right this second, but something that I want my, my CTO, my boss to know about and to know that I'm thinking about and things that I want our CFO to know about so that when I go down the road and be like, Hey, by the way, this thing that we talked about, that's now a reality. How do I make this happen? What can I do to make the business case for this kind of a deal? And so I kind of set it up in that, like must have deprioritized right now, but needs to come back to you. <laughs> and then the nice to have just because it made it easier for me to break it up um, because I knew that I probably wasn't going to get everything that I, that I initially put in there. <laughs> um, I was just going to say in terms of not getting everything you want. Yeah. I, um, the approach that I've taken, it's been interesting just because I'm navigating once again, a new company, new, new, this was this, my first year at, Hub, at HubSpot. So, um, you know, understanding how they approach that given that devs developer facing spend, um, is actually fairly new to the company. It required a little bit of like, you know, we actually got some like, I guess what I would call more experimental budget this year, which was lovely for us to learn from and to be able to use to inform 2021. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is that I kind of put together like my team's wish list, understanding like, are we actually going to be getting advocates in front of uh, developers next year? Because they've been largely kind of just engaging with our existing community um, and internally, um, is that something they're interested in doing? So having a lot of conversations with people and not only within the DevRel team, but all of the teams that we work with, which I think we can all agree DevRel is extremely cross-functional. And so um, where are our overlaps and where are our must-haves versus some of the areas that other teams are looking at? So for us, um, our allies in developer marketing are um, also looking at very similar areas of spend, but have different goals around them. So how can we work together and kind of identify similar um, pools and of, of resources and funds and, and weave in our independent kind of goals into those similar pools and ultimately coming out with like a larger, more collaborative budget. One thing I did once, and I won't specify which company because then maybe it'll be easier to keep in, um, is I just gave people on my team, I think I told them that they had $5,000 each for the half and it was use it or lose it, spend it on something. And I, it was to try and get people out in the community more finding meetups that they wanted to support, finding communities that they wanted to engage with, because one of the cardinal sins of DevRel is if you're only ever going to events that you host, <laughs> you're, you're not really participating in the, in the community in the way that you ought to be. Um, and I hoped that giving people that constraint would both give them the, the interest in getting creative, but also the freedom to know, oh, I can be the decider on spending money. And here's, here's where I can put it. Um, it didn't, not a lot of the money got spent because building up the habit of thinking about places where you can use use money effectively. Some some people are like super creative about it, and some people are like, I don't really know what to do with this cash. But it did give rise to some interesting things, like donations to specific engineers who were doing things in open source that really helped us out. And it was things like, um, you know funding high school hackathons where we didn't expect to see specific ROI, but we think that it is absolutely great that this all-girls school was doing a hackathon over a weekend and we wanted to make sure that we were supporting that. So um, that was an experiment that I would definitely be up for repeating again if I were in a company where that were, well, I think the way you put it, SJ, was, was in the financial culture 
That's awesome. I love that. And I love the, I love the fact that it empowers your team to make those decisions, but also makes you more aware of things that you might not have seen, right? Things that are involved in their specific communities, in their specific regions, things that they're more attuned to perhaps. Um, so I know we need to start wrapping up here, but I want to circle back a little bit specific to 2021. Um, as all of us are trying to you know, wrap up budgets for this year and figure out what's coming next, have you seen any surprises pop up that we haven't had to allocate for in previous years, but we need to for this year? And we talked about this a little bit with you know, Zoom licenses and supporting meetup organizers and things like that. Um, I know for me, it's been less about uh, unexpected costs of things and more the like, well, the normal money that I would ask to set aside for taking community members out to coffee or out for dinner as, you know, one-on-ones at events and stuff like that is stuff I don't have to allocate for, which is a whole different area. Um, but I'm curious to see if there's, there's other things that, you know, for people who are creating budgets for the first time, maybe they, they might not know to expect, um, but we can kind of give them a little bit of, a little bit of a heads up or a little bit of help. Um, it can be nice if, if this is something that you'll have active need for to have uh, some design contract budget. Mary and I talked about that at some point, because if, for example, you're creating your separate developer brand for the first time, usually, usually if you have a branding team already in-house, they'll want to have a say in that and they'll probably want to do that themselves. But for things like, you know, we want a sticker that is specially for our brand plus this event, or we want to do a cool landing page for this new program we're starting up. Uh, it's, it's a lot easier if you have that at your fingertips and if you already have some relationships with designers that you've worked with in the past. So you, you don't have to re-explain the kind of things that matter to you in visual identity and so on and so forth. You can kind of like just roll with them and say, hey, we've got another event, the thing you did before, but again. That's amazing. Thank you for the great tips that I think I, I have to say, this has been like a really great episode for me. I loved the content and um, it brought up a lot of <laughs> good and bad memories, I guess, <laughs> of budgeting process. Um, but that's the meat of the program. And we're going to move to the second part, which is the checkouts where we talk about something fun that's in our brain that's we've been want others to check out too, to give them some joy. And I'm going to pass it to you, SJ. What's your checkout for this episode? Oh, okay. So I will kick off the, um, in terms of actual joy, which I think we all need um, as much as we can get right now. Um, there is a, <laughs> I, I called it jokingly before we started recording the Dodo Empire. It's really just a source of like, feel good, animal adoption, like, animal rescue stories in various formats and sizes, very consumable, usually less than five minutes. Um, I originally saw it starting to pop up on my Instagram and then, you know, they have their own actual website, which I just realized for the first time today, because I'm just all consuming everything in Instagram. But like, there's just this deeply heartwarming stories that at first seem like they may mess you up. Like you see some little raggedy dog and then hear the whole story about how the dog got adopted and super healthy and so happy and you're just like crying tears of joy by the end um and it's kind of a little ritual for me like i admit i scroll my phone before bed i probably shouldn't but um it's part of my bad habits and one of the things i just kind of like 
have to look at a dodo story before I put my, my phone aside to kind of like cleanse my brain. <laughs> so please check out the dodo and follow all of their social media accounts. They do wonderful things. I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so I think we were, we were laughing beforehand that I think all of the hosts have these animal themed, uh, checkouts this week. Um, mine is an Instagram account, which turns out is also on other platforms and has a website as well, um, called boop my nose. Um, I love their logo because it's a little dog nose and the, the nostrils are the O's in the, the word boop. Um, but it's basically just these pictures of dogs as well as other animals, um, close-ups of their faces. And it's just adorable and fun. And if you're an Instagram person, often when you double tap the photo to like it, the little heart appears over the top of the nose, which just makes me happy. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things that, you know, when I need a, a five minute de-stressor from work or from life in general it's a, a place that i go to so i'd encourage you to check it out that's so cute um I, mine is my own creation um uh it's my twitter feed uh i'm wesley 83 on twitter and uh i've lately i've been posting kitten pics pictures every friday um so we have six kittens uh they're getting bigger every day and so I, they're always doing something cute or mischievous or it's just sleeping and I take pictures of them. And so every Friday I post a picture of what the kittens are up to. And uh, a few weeks ago, someone says, Hey, why don't you do this every day? And I said, well, that's a lot of work. And he said, I said, I'll do it every day that starts with F. <laughs> and then he just came up with a list of hashtags or ways of renaming days of the week, like, like formidable Sunday, and he basically renamed every day of the week that so it started with an F. So I said, okay, I'll post a new picture every day for the rest of October. So um, if you go back in my Twitter stream and or just go to the media tab, you can see pictures of kittens, and um, it brings me joy, and hopefully it brings joy to everyone else. Uh, now, Baird, if you have a checkout, we would love to hear it, or we can uh, you can promote whatever you'd like. Anything on your mind? I mean, in, it's in the animal vein, but it's a little less cute and cuddly than what you all are talking about. I've uh, I went to a garden recently that was just absolutely teeming with wildlife and birds, and I got a chance to talk to the gardener who spent a bunch of time. Uh, trying to attract native pollinators and create a biodiverse space in that one area. So uh, the book, Attracting Native Pollinators, if this is something that you, that you do, like if you have a garden or if you wanna think about how you can help basically keep our bee population alive and keep plants and the, that ecosystem healthy, I've found it really, really interesting. Even though I live in a city, I don't have a garden, I can't contribute to this directly yet, but this is something where I'm like, wow, this is, this is a good thing to know about so that we can make sure that we contribute to keeping plants and, and animal ecosystems healthy. And so that's published by the Xerxes Society, which is a conservation society for, uh, I think, invertebrates generally, not just bees, but bees. Bees are adorable. I, I would have guessed that your pick had to do with propagating goodness and life in general. That sounds like very on brand. And that's going to wrap up our show. Uh, thank you so much, Bear Douglas, for being with us. It has been a pleasure. 
Um, I'm going to end the show on a rap quote that we tend to do, and I'm just going to say cream. Cash rolls everything around me. See you all. Dal Dal Bills. This has been Community Pulse. Learn more at communitypulse.io and on Twitter at community underscore pulse. Your hosts are Mary Thangball, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter, Jason Hand, Jason Hand on Twitter, PJ Haggerty, Asplenic on Twitter, SJ Morris, Sarah Jane Morris on Twitter, and Wesley Faulkner, Wesley83 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.